Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast exists because of the paid members at DecodingTV.com. Become a paid member. Get ad-free episodes, early access to episodes. Thank you so much to everyone at DecodingTV.com who makes this podcast possible. I've never heard you laugh like that. That's how I laugh when I think something's actually funny. That's my real laugh. What? Actually funny. Did you hear that? John, let's, let's try to refrain from using cruel or absolute language while we're in here. Outside of here, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> Not really, but you know. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I am David Chen. Joining me, as always, you can find his work at Crossplay.News and at Remap Radio. Patrick Klepek, how's it going today? Look, David, if you didn't want the little house in Italy that I got for you, you could have, you know, you could have just politely turned it down. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, well, that opening clip and that reference was, of course, to Mr. and Mrs. Smith on Prime Video, which we will be discussing in depth uh, today. The final four episodes of that show we'll be talking about, as well as True Detective Night Country Episode 5, which, by the way, was released early. I don't know if you saw it. They... Uh, Posted I think it a few HBO's days done early. that before. Yeah. They, they've done it with Game of Thrones and some of their other shows that line up with the, the Super Bowl in particular, right. I think. They're just like, some things HBO is going to stand down for, <laughs> and the Super Bowl is one of them. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we will be uh, reviewing and discussing those episodes and TV shows today. Uh, we will also be discussing this new streaming partnership between Warner, Fox, and Disney, and also the Super Bowl, which we watched this week. Talking a little bit about our overall reactions as well as the ads. Uh, we all we watched a bunch of the ads and we'll be talking about like some thoughts on the ads and so on. Uh, so that's what we got in store for you next week on the podcast, by the way. To prepare, we're going to be catching up on The Daily Show, which is going to have its first iteration with Jon Stewart coming back this year. Uh, so that'll be our main topic and probably, you know, uh, mixed in with that is going to be a review of the show as well. And then the season finale of True Detective Night Country. But there is a lot of TV debuting this month, Patrick Lepic. Uh We got Constellation coming up, uh, Last Airbender TV show, Shogun, Shogun. I'm really excited yep. about. That's going to be, I think, probably a big deal. So uh, lots more in store for you right here on Decoding TV uh, so stay tuned for all of that. You can find more episodes of the show at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. And find us on all platforms. At Decoding TV, we're on YouTube, uh, posting videos on YouTube and TikTok. Um, and uh, I'll say a lot of people are sharing opinions on those videos, Patrick Clip. Um, <laughs> the True Detective fans are just shouting, more David and Patrick. Like, what do you think? Of us as fans, they're just mm-hmm. they're just captivated. They they can't. They're enthralled. They're enraptured. Uh, they cannot stay away. But yes, uh, join the hundreds of people commenting on our videos at Decoding TV uh, on YouTube and on TikTok and Instagram. Uh, we'd love to see you over there. All right, let's get into what we're discussing this episode. All right, before we get into Super Bowl stuff, just want to mention this quick story 
that it happened a couple days before the Super Bowl, and that is that Warner, Fox, and Disney are joining together to launch a joint sports venture. This is going to be a streaming venture, uh, I'm reading here from Variety, that will put content from ESPN, TNT, and Fox Sports on a new standalone app, uh, and in the process, likely shake up the world of TV sports. Uh, subscribers would get access to linear sports networks, including ESPN, ESPN2, ESPNU, ESPN News, ABC, Fox, FS1, FS2, TNT, TBS, True TV, ESPN Plus, as well as hundreds of hours from the NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, and many top college divisions. End quote. Uh, I also want to mention that these groups of com- this group of company together controls approximately eighty five percent of U.S. Uh, the U.S. sports rights market. Uh, only the NHL would have a major presence outside of this group, uh, with Thursday Night Football at Amazon as well as, I think, uh, Sunday Night Football at Universal. Um, the price of the streaming is projected to be between $20 to $30 a month and $70 to $80 a month. Like, $20, $30 a month is like Netflix. Uh, $75 to $80 a month is like YouTube TV. It's supposed to come in like between those two. I don't know how, if and how they're going to achieve that, but that's what people are guessing. So anyway, uh, this seems like it's going to be probably a pretty big deal. Patrick Klepek, what was your reaction when you saw this news? Well, I, I watch a lot of sports uh, through a mixture of things I pay for and things that maybe you would just, if you stumble into a back alley on the internet, uh, you can find some links that'll on the dark show web. you anything, David. Um, Patrick Klepek uh, spends most of his time on the dark web, and that's, that's where he watches his sports. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they can gouge you on sports. Sports is, I think you, you know, part of the reason we're talking about the Super Bowl and the commercials is because I think as you put it in your newsletter, um, that it's one of the few like cultural, like monoculture, like moments, like yeah. a moment where everyone gets together to do a thing, um, which is just not the case with a lot of culture these days. Sports also has the advantage of being live. Um, we are in a media culture where we are very used to things being on demand and convenient. Sports remains one of the only things, and will probably re- at some point become more or less the only thing that is on a schedule. You got to show up. Part of the excitement is watching that thing happen live. Not only that, but sports are tied up in fandoms that are often generationally handed down. I did not choose to become a cursed Chicago Bears fan. I just grew up in the Chicago suburbs. Like, that's that's my curse. That's my burden. And so I will pay whatever it is necessary to watch the Chicago Bears, which is why that's true for a lot of hardcore sports fans. And then you start stacking that against other other types of sports, not just necessarily football, but basketball, baseball. And the fact that sports has now been divided up amongst, like, if you want to watch football, 16 games a year, how many could that be? Well, it airs on NBC, CBS, ABC. Thursday Night Football is uh, on Amazon. Prime video. Prime video, uh, yep. One of the uh, playoff games this year, they they made everyone sign up for Peacock uh, in order to get that one. Um, and, and then you could the bonus is you can watch Twisted Metal right after that. So correct, exactly. Yeah, you're. Yeah, I kept jokingly telling people, I was like, "Well, there's so many things on Peacock that you could get, like like Twisted Metal." Um, and I mean, Poker Face, legitimately good. Show. You can also watch the Holdovers on Peacock. Great movie. So Just watch. There's that. some good. There's some good stuff on Peacock. Yeah. Um, and so football is divided, and that's only 16 games. When you're starting to get to most of the other sports, basketball, baseball, especially, you are getting into. 100 plus games you can I you just listed off a bunch of networks 
And you know, it was a very important part of what you said there. Many and also hundreds of hours. Those are qualifying words to explain not all. <laughs> so you're going to pay a lot of money to get access to a lot of sports, but it will not be all the sports. Mm-hmm. You will still have to go other places. Um, my Chicago Cubs, are, uh, and ba- baseball is moving to a regional network model where instead of paying for, in on the NBA, you have something called League Pass. Uh, in the NFL, uh, you have uh, a Sunday Ticket. Um, which are like, hey, you just pay a bunch of money. You can watch everything except for like the regional blackout stuff um, that, you know, doesn't exist in baseball. No, you get you get the pleasure, the joy of spending 10 to 20 dollars a month just to watch the Cubs, because the only the only games that are on nationally are like, I don't know, once every two or three weeks. And so sports is where they gouge you. They're going to charge as much as they want and it'll people will will pay I am less convinced that people want the giant bundle of sports. Do they really want all sports or are people willing to be gouged on a very specific level, which is that <laughs> I, I, I'll i pay to watch the Cubs, the Bulls, the Bears. I don't, do I really need to pay to watch all these other teams? Um, I, I don't know that I'll necessarily find that all that appealing. I, I feel like I'm more inclined to pay for the, specifics of, I, of what I want. So like the specifics here are really important because right. having a lot as again, like I said, not the same as having all. And when you want to like fully understand a sport or fully watch everything your team does, the all part becomes awfully important. It's a good question, Patrick. What is an acceptable amount of gouging uh, <laughs> that, that people can have in their lives over sports viewing? It's uh, a question. I suspect that many people will have once this bundle is finally released. A few other observations to point out about this. I mean, I think this is a pretty big deal. You know, this is probably on the scale of uh, the launch of a Hulu or something like that. And we all know how well that ended up. Everyone was super (laughs) happy with the final result there. I -hmm. mean, I do think that, joking aside, it is going to be challenging in the long run because what we saw with something like Hulu, I think, you know, and other people have a different theory of the case potentially, is um, all these companies coming together and saying, hey, we, like in this case, with this sports bundle, uh, we have to protect ourselves from the streaming giants, right? Uh, G- reporter Joe Flynn said, this is like the dinosaurs coming together to defend themselves from the meteors, right? Like, <laughs> you know? And uh, and so they're like, hey, we need to, to defend ourselves, put this together and have some kind of uh, bulwark, you know, some kind of um, defense against every, you know, streaming that's like the money's coming for everyone, right? Uh Apple has its investment in MLB, obviously Amazon investing heavily into NFL. And so uh, I think this is like a good move overall, you know, but the question is like in the long term, once their incentives become different or once they decide to focus on different things, like what then becomes of the service and what will happen, uh, time will tell. By the way, you mentioned, the, you know, how the Super Bowl is like uh, a monocultural event. Did you know in 2023, NFL broadcast accounted for 93 of the 100 most uh, watched United States broadcasts uh, in, in that year, which I so can believe of, it. None of that. Of the, I mean, f- football just keeps getting bigger and bigger year over year uh, relative to like a sport like baseball, um, which seems to be undergoing a bit of a generational shift. So none of, none of that, none of that shocks me. The TV shows we talk about, I love them. They're big deals in my <laughs> book, but they're, it's like, TV these days is mostly football and then a few mm-hmm. other things. That's kind of mm-hmm. what 
what most people watch on TV is football and a few other things. So I mean, there's a reason, um, like football itself. Like part of what was beautiful about football was that unlike every other sport, it happened on one day. It mm-hmm. was just Sunday, and you got to if you were a fan of the sport uh, writ large or just a, a specific team. Sunday was it. You just park your ass on Sunday. You get to watch football. Now I think um, they're playing. They've the NFL over the last ten years has expanded. They've but they their end goal is to eventually get a team in a foreign country. Um, uh, but in the meantime, they have uh, been having games played outside the United States. And um, I believe for the first week, opening weekend of this upcoming this NFL season just ended. Obviously, but the next season we'll have a game on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Monday. <laughs> I believe like that's the slate they're going to have that opening weekend. Cause I think the NFL understands that, well, having it all on Sunday is nice, but what if football was just every day of the week? And look, I, I don't know how much I'd be complaining about that, but um, it seems to be the, the direction that we're going in. Uh, I also wanted to point out that uh, this article notes that the three principals did not reach out to Comcast or Paramount. Uh, thinking that uh, bringing in more partners would make the structure unwieldy and make the price of a subscription too high for many consumers to bear, end quote. Uh, you got to imagine, uh, you know, you work at Comcast or Parama and this thing is announced and it's like, oh, hey, they all they all decided to form a little club without you. You know, like that that's kind of a bummer, <laughs> kind of a bummer there. But uh, but yeah, I mean, they the three of them are enough. They have, again, 85 percent of the sports rights, so they don't they don't actually need anyone else necessarily. Uh, and obviously Comcast or Paramount would come with their own challenges uh, to include. It's it, Honestly, it's amazing to me that anything between three corporations this large is able, is able to launch at all. Like you and I both, <laughs> you and I both know how like unwieldy some of these companies are. Mm-hmm, so anyway, sure. uh, wanted to mention this streaming bundle. It's going to be, you know, a big deal, a, a big way that streaming is coming uh, to the consumer that is going to hopefully be more convenient, less, ex- uh, not necessarily less expensive, but like less, fewer places to visit, you know, and uh, and we'll see how it evolves. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Anyway, Patrick Klepek, let's talk about the Super Bowl this year uh you and i both watched it i thought it'd be fun to just talk about some of the ads of the super bowl but real quick the game itself uh what a game uh i'd say it was like 80 percent not super uh not that much happened and then like the final you know six thirty, sixty 60 minutes was some of the most incredible football i've ever watched what was your experience watching this year's super bowl patrick lepic the biggest moment happened before they even kicked the opening kickoff, uh, David, uh, for four years now, um, I have been doing something with my oldest daughter where I bet $50 based on the coin flip. 
And this child of mine, smart, rambunctious, interesting, curious, <laughs> cannot, for the life of her, pick the goddamn coin flip correctly. Four mm-hmm. years in a row. Mm-hmm. Busted. Not going to college, kid. You got to figure out this coin flip. And finally, this year, heads prevailed. Coin flip came up. It's it's a happy club of household. Like everyone, wow. is, everyone is cheering. Um, and, and and you do, do you actually place a bet somewhere on this? Like yeah, how do you... fan, FanDuel is where I I mm. do my like. I should be clear. Like when I do bets, it's so funny because I recently converted uh, uh, a, a neighbor that I watched a lot of my football games with to like sign up for FanDuel. He's like, you get so excited and animated when like things are happening. And he's like, well, how much are you betting? And I was like, a dollar. He's like, I'm like screaming when a field goal is missed. And he's like, how much money did you have on the game? And I'm like, 250, buddy. 250? No, $2.50. Wow. It's the same. But I I, like uh, like betting in the same way that I like fantasy football. It just adds like extra Mm -hmm. emotional stakes to games that I um, maybe aren't interested in because of, you know, the team I root for. But no, the game was, yeah, it was a very boring first half. Uh, very here, here, before you get to half. that, here, before you get to that, yeah. here's a pro, here's a pro tip for you, Patrick Klepek. Yeah. Here, here's what I learned in gambling school. Yes. Uh, you know, if you're if you're betting on you know uh, the the coin flip or something that happens every year, mm-hmm. um, then you know if you lose, then the next year double it, uh, the amount that you bet, and then just keep doubling it until you win. Oh, and that way, I love this. That way, you're 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 not losing any money. You see, so damn. That's yeah, impeccable a, logic. And there's zero way that plan could go wrong. <laughs> David, <and> someone, <laughs> I was I I had uh one of my favorite football podcasts, they did a like prop bets, like sort of like mm-hmm. thing for the for, for for the Super Bowl. And so I listened to that, took notes on which ones I thought were like fun or interesting. Um and so I had FanDuel on my iPad and then uh I had written down the and so I'm trying to find all these these prop bets and then like FanDuel came like I think they legally have to do this. Um it's like with a notification, it's like, sir, sir. And it was labeled like reality checks. Like, you've had the app open for 30 goddamn minutes. Like, are you okay? It's wow. Like, I'm just reading my notes. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, the game itself you're about to say. Yeah, the game was uh yeah, really exciting second half. Um it's 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 the uh these are two teams that uh have extremely good defenses. Um and yeah. uh yeah. Th- there is offense and defense in football, but the one that's ex- the most exciting and the one that people want to watch is the part where they throw the ball. Um <laughs> and that, that wasn't happening as much in the first half of the game. And so it was a really exciting defensive game if you like watching like that part of it, but even for me, someone who you know, I feel like I can appreciate the the game on that level for as much as I know about it and as much as I I watch of it. Um, was excited when they finally started <laughs> whipping the ball around in the second half, and and the I like it when number goes up, uh, David, yeah. and, and the number some, finally started going up. There's some really insightful decoding TV analysis for you. We like when ball move downfield. And number go uh, up. Uh, and number go up. That's the analysis. <laughs> that's that's the analysis. Strikingly done. All right. Uh, let's talk about the ads of the Super Bowl, Patrick Lepic. Now, uh, I think that... Uh, I, I guess I remember a time when the ads at the Super Bowl were interesting. You know, yeah, like, they suck now. Just like broadly... <laughs> like broad, like right, broad, right. Broad, like, I'm sure we'll talk about ones that were like, okay, or fine, or pretty good. But I think what you're getting at is that relative to when we had it good... Like we're talking like 
90s, <laughs> 2000s. They tried. Like, they tried. Yeah, they yeah. took swings. And sometimes, real bad. You shouldn't yeah, have yeah. taken that swing. But there Absolutely. were real risks happening in the Super Bowl. Absolutely. And there, you just don't see no, no, that anymore. Uh, agreed 100% with everything you said. Now, I do want to say that when they took swings, the best case scenario outcome uh-huh. of that swing is uh, every single white person you talk with says, what's up when they meet you for 18 months after the addict. Uh-huh, right? like, uh-huh. like, so I'm not saying like culturally it's necessarily a net positive, right? <laughs> but I am, but I am saying, you know, say what you will about the tenets of Budweiser. At least it's an ethos. Like mm-hmm. at least something, you know, of interest occurred, right? Yes. Uh, at, at least like creatively they took some chances, right? Um, and I would say most of the ads are are pretty uninteresting these days. Um, I, I actually think this, this batch was better than last year's ads, uh, but most ads lean so heavily on the use of celebrities. You yeah. know, like just, hey, remember, you know this person from there. And I, it feels like the safest choice possible, right? It feels like uh, I, I can see the pitch deck, you know, where it's like, hey, we should get Jennifer Aniston. You know, we should get David Swimmer and Jennifer Aniston in this Uber Eats ad because people like friends. No one does. <laughs> no one dislikes friends. It's better and, than a QR code staring at me in the face, which was last year, right? That was like the, that, was, I think... that was cool. I, I thought that was cool. I thought that was a cool. <laughs> anyway, uh, but yes, there is a there's an extremely heavy, heavy reliance on celebrities and mostly in extremely boring and uninteresting ways like just just designed to activate the part of your lizard brain that says hey i I recognize those people point at the just pointing your finger at the screen just the (laughs) so huge bummer with one exception uh and that is i really liked sarave's ad that made use of michael Sarah. here is incredibly clever here here is uh the audio of the uh the ad I'm Michael Sarah, and human skin is my passion, which is why I developed this. Sarah V. Oh, you didn't know? Can skin truly be this moisturized? Yeah. Wow. Let my cream hydrate you. (laughs) Three essential ceramides. Sarah V. All right, anyway, you kind of get the idea. Human I skin did, is my passion, too. The fact David. that it opens with human skin is my that, that is just amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. They're getting a lot of credit right now. Oglavy put together the ad campaign. Um, they're getting a lot of credit for doing something that actually is legitimately viral. And uh, I think they deserve it because it's like most interesting use of a celebrity mm-hmm. uh, during the Super Bowl, I thought. Because uh, well, the, the, it's all stunt casting to a certain degree, right? To right. sort of grab your attention with a familiar. But I don't know that... Does Michael Sarah like? Do people really know who you know what I mean? Like, I know he's like an actor, but he's he's not top of mind these days. He's not. I feel like Tina Fey, Jennifer Aniston are a different level of stuff. Like that's why I think what makes it so good is like they didn't get Michael Sarah because oh, what people are going to do is point at the screen and go, "That's Michael Sarah." It was a funny idea. Yes, yes. Like it started there. It was someone in a room going, "Well, that's pretty funny." Yeah, yeah. I yeah. don't know. I don't know that we could do that. Like, I feel like I, someone got high and was like, "Sarah, yeah. Michael, Sarah," and that, like, that's that's a <laughs> right. fun that, that, ex- exactly. Yeah, the gif of uh, Antonio Banderas leaning back and like just being really happy <laughs> with himself. Yes, yes. He's like when somebody thought like, "I've got Michael, Sarah." His his name now. It is a little bit of a catch twenty two because 
at the end, they need to then explain that Michael Sarah did not actually create Cerave <laughs> because Cerave is actually like a serious or Cerave. It's a it's actually a very serious dermatologist recommended brand of skin cream and lotion and cleansers. Uh, so they had to be like, oh, it's actually not Michael Sarah that did this, uh, <laughs> thus undercutting the entire ad. But you know, I think they managed to thread the needle there. I uh, think so. So too. yeah. So anyway, that that I did like. Uh, another highlight, you know, Google always delivers the high quality ads these days. Like, uh, I, I think they're, you know, I have a lot of issues with Google as a company, Sure, but their advertising is among the best at showing how technology can improve your life. Uh, and they had like all of their ads, like make me cry. And their, their ad this year was about, um, somebody using an AI feature called guided assistant, um, somebody who had vision impairment using an AI feature called Guided Assistant and like how he experienced life uh, through this app. And it was uh, it was amazing. It was amazing. So like th- those are a couple of highlights uh, that I would say. And I wrote about like a bunch of trends I observed over at my newsletter, decodingeverything.com. Patrick Klepik, what were some of the things you observed about this year's Super Bowl ads? Well, uh, I think I uh, had noted as we were prepping for this uh, a similar uh, trend line uh, that you had, which is the, I know it's not new and especially you've been watching trailers on YouTube, a version of this has already existed, but we're just not showing trailers anymore. We're just showing a highlight reel of a trailer. Like when I, you know, I'm excited for like for movie trailers, like Deadpool three or planet right. of the apes movie. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's not even a trailer. It's not even a trailer. Movie studios used to have the decency to buy a 30 or 60 second spot at the Super Bowl, And now they're like, why have, why buy a 60-second spot when we can have half the time at half the price? <laughs> well, I think it's $7 million for, per 30 right. seconds. Uh, yeah. is, it was the going rate for, for the Super Bowl this year. And yeah. so um, I don't know if it's any cheaper to air it on the Nickelodeon segment. You know, like I don't know mm-hmm. how, the, uh, how the, the, the cost changed from there. But, yeah, I, I mean, they're probably not wrong that, like, ultimately you're trying, pointing people towards a YouTube channel where they subscribe and, like, like – I understand how we arrive at this spot as maybe being the best use of the money and value, but it it still sucks. Like <laughs> it's fun to experience like the thrill of a well-crafted yes. trailer with a group of people. Like right? I, I usually only experience yeah. that in a movie theater, but in a movie theater, I'm shutting <laughs> the fuck up. Like I'm at a movie theater, like whereas in the Super Bowl, everyone's talking and it's loud. Like, like when the Quiet Place one came up, like we're all like sharing stories about like what it was like to watch that movie in a theater and how people actually were quiet in a movie called The Quiet. And, and that was a fun. And then it ended. I was like, oh, well, I guess we'll look the trailer up at halftime or something. And we just never got back around to doing it. But um, part of that's just my affinity for the the art of a of a good trailer. But um, yeah, I that bummed me out each time because it just felt like if people haven't experienced it when you go on YouTube frequently these days if you're just going to watch a trailer for a movie you like i here's a trailer for deadpool they show you a short version of the trailer promoting the trailer that you're just about to watch in the same exact video and they just transplanted that concept to the super bowl uh yeah it drives me up a wall i agree it's uh it's quite irritating and uh the it's not even like the trailer you watch online is like a shortened version or sorry a longer version of what you saw at the super bowl it's like a whole different yeah, thing. It's like a whole different piece of content, basically. So, uh, 
Yes. I, uh, I, if you're going to show me a trailer, show me the whole, a whole thing that's been custom made for that time slot. Instead, it felt like these were like 15 second slots. Well, it's uh, the only one that, that worked for me was, um, uh, the twisters one, because what does that movie need to sell? Yo, we got more, tw- we got more twisters. Like they're in the movie. It's like, all right, well, I don't really need to know a plot line. Like if if it's just, if it's if you're making the movie Twisters, I sort of I sort of guess I get what you're going for once you show me the cool Twisters on on screen. So that that one I felt like effectively managed to work within the form, whereas a Planet of the Apes or a Deadpool, like they have jokes yeah. and like drama to set up, and it doesn't really work yes. within with that construct. The premise of Twister is shockingly simple, or Twister is a shockingly <laughs> simple. Twister, yeah. There's it's, more this time. <laughs> what if we had the director of Minari make a sequel to the 1996 film Twister? That's I, really... You know what? I feel like like someone... That's just like someone <laughs> spinning a wheel in the timeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, <laughs> I mean, I hope the movie's great. Uh, I, I adore the original uh, Twister. Like, it's one of my all-time favorite disaster films. Um, but... Um, just that being like, look, take the check. You know, I, I hope the movie's good too. <laughs> right. It, it's just, can you think of two movies? What is a movie that is as different from Minari as possible? The sequel to Twister would be one of the things that I would put on that list. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Uh, anyway, yeah. So overall, kind of a bust in terms of good ads, uh, like the Michael Sarah ad, uh, and then the movie trailers, very disappointing. Because they were trailers for other trailers. Yeah. Uh, anything else to mention about what we saw at the Super Bowl this do year? You, um, uh, do you do any games like alongside watching this? Like we're big on like we got bingo games. We're like checking off like different ads. Then we have to get into our cane dis- discussions of does uh, it was like it, it was oh, I was like there was a beer, but we couldn't tell if it was the. Were you allowed to count it on your board if it was the company that made it, or did it have to be the specific beer? Anyway, we play a lot of games while we watch the mm. Super Bowl. Like that's that's definitely a huge part of how we engage with the game as well. Is like I end up engaging with the ads, not necessarily in terms of their content or their message, but which logo is there so that I can look at my sheet and see if I can try and win fifty bucks in the next couple minutes. You know, there is one other thing I wanted to mention, Patrick Lepic, which is uh that it felt like a lot of the references that happened were ancient. Yeah. Uh, like there was a reference to twins. You got Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger together. That movie's like over 30 years old. There were, do you remember for a long period of time when Hollywood used to make original movies? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> there mm-hmm. was a like a couple decades where double or twin movies would come out. Armageddon and Deep Impact, mm-hmm. Volcano and Dante's Peak. You know, uh, it felt like we were watching that happen during the Super Bowl, but with the ads. <laughs> there were two separate ads making fun of how celebrities talk. Uh, there was this Arnold Schwarzenegger State Farm ad talking like about how Arnold doesn't pronounce the ERs at the end of his sentences or at the end of his words. Uh, and then Christopher Walken was imitated in a BMW ad that I actually really liked. Uh, there were also two separate ads. That hinged on Irene Cara's flash dance, What a Feeling. Yeah, that's pretty specific. Which is a really old song. Like, I'm, I mean, yes, it's still, it has staying power, but I'm just like, uh, I, I, I just feel like, uh, I don't know. Well, I think that 
Um, I've also heard that like what's great about the Super Bowl is Patrick Klepek, you and I are now aging into the demographic that the Super Bowl is trying to appeal to. It <laughs> like, is, yeah. With the, no, with yeah. The every, show everything is everything. very millennial coded. It's right, like that's what right. the that's what the the halftime shows yeah. are now. It's all like, oh, remember junior high, high school, college? Right? Like depending yes. on where you fall in, like that, like kind of you know uh, millennial age bracket. And it's like, yeah, this is all just aimed at us now. Okay, I'm in that prize demographic. There is a Threads user named JV Last that wrote, quote, Watching that absolutely banging Usher show, I finally understood the boomers. Forcing the, rest of Ameri- forcing the rest of America to celebrate the cultural touchstones of your youth is amazing. No wonder why they never want to let go, end quote. <laughs> there's, I know that's meant to be funny, but there's an incredible amount of truth in there as well. Yeah. He also says, It was so good, my seven-year-old was annoyed by the whole thing until he turned to me during the halftime show and asked, Is that Tej from Fast and Furious? <laughs> end quote anyway uh there was a um there's a moment in the halftime show where uh usher uh takes his shirt off you know i think to bra- like look I, I still look pretty good uh in in my 40s at which point um my three-year-old took that as a sign that she should take her shirt off mm. um and began began to parade around the living room that we were watching the game in i was mm. like elizabeth Put your shirt back on. It's like, no, he took his shirt off. I'm like, I can't argue with that logic. You cannot. Will you put, will you you put it back on when the show's over? She's like, yeah. I was like, okay, fine. I'll accept that. I'll accept that as a victory. Uh, the other thing I want to mention is, did you notice that Temu aired an ad, the same ad, approximately uh, 83 times during the course of the show? It was a bad ad, too. Like, yeah, nothing- a terrible ad. Like most of the time, uh, we we would spend that time explaining to somebody who didn't see the previous one because they got up to get a drink or a snack or a beer or deal with a child. Like, what's this ad for? It's like, like sort of like Amazon. Do I need to go there? Ah, pro- probably not. It's like then roll the ad six more times. There's like a meme going around this morning of how like wait did you spend like this the person meant to spend eight million dollars but they accidentally spent eighty million dollars yeah, like think I saw that oh one. shit I, I, I accidentally added a zero onto the wire transfer you know like mm-hmm. uh, otherwise why would you have bought like six Temu ads during the course of the broadcast I have no um, it's and it's not like they change you know it's one thing if they were telling a like hey we're gonna buy a bunch of spots we're gonna tell a story with these ads and the reason we're showing them multiple times is to connect like, Oh, you're watching the big game. And this is one of the rare times where people don't want to pay money to skip ads. Like it's, it's, it's genius. <laughs> um, and instead they just aired the same orange colored commercial over and over again. Uh, and it was very, very strange decision. I'm not sure. It's I'm not sure disa- they quite accomplished the mission. I think it's a disastrous at. like it's a disastrous game you know we'll see how good it does for them uh but this felt like a really bad way of lighting you know 30 million dollars on fire uh i will say uh by the way uh eric deggins just uh posted that cbs finally released super bowl ratings yeah and it was the most watched telecast in tv history yeah with an average right. of 123.4 million viewers up seven percent from 2023 more than 200 million Viewers watched all or part of it across networks and 120 million on CBS alone, also a record. So I think there is as much like you ask the average person 
what do they want out of media? And it's reflected in on-demand, convenience, wherever I want to watch it. But at the end of the day, like people do hunger for a reason to be around other people. And I do think that will be one of the great struggles of like, how, how do we resolve or do we not resolve this tension between a desire for community? Like that's a huge reason the Super Bowl is popular. It's an excuse like a wedding or other big event to get together with people. And like the football part of it is, is like secondary, like third, fourth, fifth from any, like depending on a lot of people going to Super Bowl parties, don't give like a hoot who's winning or losing. Right. Uh, it's just a reason to get together with people. And those moments are so few and far between these days that I think that's a huge reason why the Super Bowl just gets bigger and bigger because we have less of these moments in our lives. So you just end up dumping that weight onto the Super Bowl even more because there's just so many, so, so, so few instances where you can justify sending out like an Evite to get people to come over for a thing that isn't a birthday or some other special event. And, you know, I, I wish we had other ways of making stuff like that happen. Like it works out for me because I really like football, but uh, it's too bad that we don't have more of those. You know, Patrick Klepek, that's a beautiful explanation and reflection on the atomization of our culture and the endemic loneliness that comes with our modern smart fuel, uh, smartphone-driven society. Mm-hmm. So all that's true. And also Taylor Swift. I'm going to put that out there. Yeah. <laughs> so help. that, everything Patrick just said, and Taylor Swift. Yeah. I would argue. The NFL, uh, yeah, the NFL, yeah, they just need, you know, like, they already had enough and then Taylor Swift showed up, so. Yes, indeed. Well, I mean, you know, the, the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl and um, and obviously Taylor Swift is dating uh, Travis Kelsey. I, for one, am glad that something nice has happened to Taylor Swift. I mean, she <laughs> yeah, really, I mean, like, she really definitely needed not a... on one of the all-time heaters <laughs> of a pop star over the last uh, 15 20 Minutes. years. <laughs> yeah. uh, she really needed a win, and uh, I'm glad she got one. I'm glad she got one. So, anyway. Rooting for the underdog. That's what, we, <laughs> that's what we do on this podcast. All right. Uh, well, anyway, those are some thoughts on the Super Bowl this year. Before we get to the shows that we're going to be discussing today, I do just want to mention that uh, we do appreciate people writing into us at decoding tv at gmail.com like you know last week i put out the call and asked people hey how would you like the show to be structured and uh do you want you know like detailed recaps during the show do you want them as bonus episodes and we got a bunch of different feedback from people who love the podcast and just kind of uh, had some suggestions for uh, how we might restructure it patrick klepik and i are still reflecting on how best to do it um we we what we do sense is there's still a hunger out there for like a more detailed recap of the kind that has defined this podcast in the past. Right. And so uh, we're trying, we'll try to figure out a way to deliver that in some form, either as a bonus episode for decoding TV.com paid subscribers or on the main feed. Um, But yeah, TBD, we're still working it out. Uh, But thank you all for your feedback and keep it coming in at decoding TV at gmail.com. So yeah. Uh, All right. Wanted to mention that. Let's get into our conversation about Mr. and Mrs. Smith. So, um, It's your first time in New York. Should we be asking each other that? Have you ever killed anyone? <laughs> no, no, no. Not really. Really? No. Where do I begin to 
Tell the story of how great love can be. Married. The sweet love story that is older than the sea. I should be clear, I'm not in this for the romance. About the love he brings to me. What is it that you two do? We're computer uh, software engineers. All right. Uh, let's talk about the final few episodes of Mr. and Mrs. Smith. We watched episodes one through four last week, uh, and we watched episodes five through eight this week. Patrick Klepek, let's just start overall in one sentence or less. Do you think people should finish watching Mr. and Mrs. Smith? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a, a wonderful show start to finish. If we don't get any more, I'll be sad. But it tells a really complete, interesting story um, and ends on a, a really cool note. I agree. I think uh, this show is a lot of fun. Uh, some really cool sequences, some great chemistry between the leads. Uh, worth checking out if you have the chance. Let's talk about some of the specific stuff that happened during these episodes. Uh, uh, first of all, before we get to the very ending, which obviously we will discuss, uh, anything that you want to call out as uh, something praiseworthy during these last four episodes. I will say this. I really liked the couples therapy episode. And yeah. uh, I think that uh, I, I would actually argue that there are couples therapist, even though she was, you know, a little bit of a, like an oblivious uh, white person, I'll just say uh-huh, like uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. with all these like various ethnic uh, sort of trinkets around her. Hmm. I think that she was actually like pretty decent as a couple therapist. I'm gonna put, <laughs> put that out there. Like, mm-hmm. and I've watched like a bunch of therapy related content recently. You know, I watched the, I did a rewatch of The Sopranos not too long ago. I rewatched this movie called uh, "You Hurt My," Fe- uh, or I watched this movie called "You Hurt My Feelings" recently, which has one of the worst therapists I've ever seen on screen, and he's supposed to be bad, like in the context of the movie. Okay, uh, and. I, that's like one of my icks, as it were, is when there's a bad therapist. And I thought um, uh, that uh, the episode six couples therapy was actually really uh, well done uh, in a variety of ways. But but overall, you know, one of the great things about this show is every episode is titled after a relationship milestone and they find clever ways of kind of fitting the the spy stuff into that structure so for instance episode five is called do you want kids and it involves them taking care of an older target uh, played by ron perlman who like acts like a child during the course of the episode and so it's like oh this is like what a couple goes through except in the context of spy stuff uh and i thought that was all very highly enjoyable it's kind of one of those shows where you watch to see like how they're gonna manage to fit in this relationship milestone into the construct of like a spy mission. Uh, Patrick Klepek, any thoughts on that? Well, and it doesn't feel formulaic or episodic, even though like it is like, it feels like it flows really naturally. Um, I thought that was one of the things I found most interesting about the show and its broader narrative arc is that it's not, it doesn't feel like a movie chopped up into eight pieces. You know, it is like, different moments in their lives, different contexts, different situations, but feels like very naturally con- continue a natural continuations of what we saw. But it's just, it's really elegant storytelling. I thought to be able to blend these genres, these tones, um, these character moments in a way that I was, I was always impressed by 
how natural the pieces click together, even though like you can start sep- you can separate them out, but they, they click together really well in a way that doesn't feel, doesn't feel forced. Um, and, and the other bit that I really enjoyed, especially in the second half um, is, you know, the show is not that loud uh, in, in the sense that it is not an action heavy spy show with relationship stuff on the side. I think we characterize it more as a, a rom-com like kind of like stuck in a box of a, of a spy show. Um, and when the show does choose to go loud, when it chooses to have an action scene, I thought the action was like pretty spectacular. And yeah. like all the moments that it chooses to do it, there's a great chase scene in the in the episode that you're talking about. The entire finale is just full of really kick-ass uh, action scenes. And it's a, uh, it chooses its moments, but when it chooses to be, like, hey, uh, it doesn't skimp on the action, I guess is what I'd say. Like, a mm-hmm. different kind of show, w- when it reveals itself to be heavily emphasizing the romance and the comedy, then you might be under the assumption that, okay, well, I guess when there is action, like, I, I'm not going to raise my expectations for it that high. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not saying they're beating out a Mission Impossible movie, but it won't. I feel like the action goes punch for punch sometimes quite literally with like the comedy and the drama, it all feels very elevated and it doesn't feel like the action is perfunctory to just be a, like, uh, I guess we got to get some shooting in here. It feels, it serves a, a, not just as a functions for the plot, but it's just genuinely fun, interesting action to watch as well. And I was, I was very impressed by that when the show decided to, to delve in that direction. Uh, One other thing I want to call out Patrick Klepek is, uh, all the guest stars are so well utilized in the show, yeah. um, and they're not playing characters that I would necessarily associate with them. You know, Sarah Paulson playing the kind of oblivious therapist, Ron Perlman playing the basically like a doddering old man in this uh, in the show, Michaela Cole being like a total badass assassin. Like, um, you know, those are all like they do all those things really, really well, but they're not things that I'm just like, I would automatically connect. So really creative casting and every single, uh, sort of guest star is really well utilized. Even Paul Dano, you know, who like, uh, (laughs) you wonder kind of whether he has, um, insidious motives and Mm -hmm. he does. And it turns out to be that way in, in kind of some of the most funny ways possible, the funniest way possible, I thought. So, uh, and and, and this and this sort of the the creative casting doesn't overshadow the show, right? Like I think that was a little bit of my worry when I realized one of the tricks of the show was going to be, hey, pretty much every episode you can expect to find kind of a noteworthy, uh, interesting actor here. Like that's that's part of what the show is doing. It's not trying to cast so that you're not really paying attention to the other actors that orbit our two main characters. They're okay with you, like oh, I know. I know that guy, like I know that girl. Um, but I felt like that never over ended up overshadowing like our main characters. They just ended up orbiting it really, really well. And so that that was just like a very elegant handling on the show's behalf where you're like, oh, that's really neat that this person is here. But it, it doesn't end up revolving the show around them. It's just good actors doing good work. Let's talk about the finale, Patrick Klepek. Uh I thought the finale was pretty solid, pretty interesting. Uh, We get the return of the couple from the double date episode. Uh, We find out that their job is to assassinate uh, other Mr. and Mrs. Smith. I mean, look, you know, Patrick Klepek, I promised I would let go of any 
attachment to I, dude realism? i knew, I knew it. there was a moment where <laughs> i muttered to myself oh my god david is going to be fe- can i guess which moment it was no no, no. I, I was actually just going to say overall okay i had All a much right. better time with these last four episodes because i i fulfilled my promise which is i decided to stop thinking about whether to take the show seriously and just let go and let it wash over but the me show it breaks good. its own rules like okay this, okay yeah so well, yeah. The the moment I'm thinking of is yes. in the finale when they're running outside. It's not long after the explosion occurs coming out of the revolving door and uh they have to essentially they're they're hunting each other. Yes. But then also are like the police show up and they're like what's go what's going on here? And I found it easier to watch this entire show in which their actions are never reacted to right. um by like normal law enforcement yeah, agencies. Yeah. There's not like the FBI is not snooping around. Like the, the, the New York police department isn't knocking on their door. Like we saw a picture of you at this, th-. you know what I mean? Like right, it just right. dispenses all of that. Mm-hmm. But then when they're going through that park and the police show up and we're supposed to, I couldn't buy into what the, like I didn't find that tense at all. It's like show, mm-hmm. show show you can't tell me to not care about any of this stuff and then try to derive tension from like two police officers bumbling their way to like chasing them that part didn't didn't really work for me and i I just assumed have them continue with the suspension of disbelief rather than it felt like reality sort of checking in on the show in a way that that didn't really work for me i i had already let go of any pretensions (laughs) by that point but i i guess it's just like the whole (sighs) The show begins with what I assume is a Mr. and Mrs. Smith being dispatched. I don't think we yeah. ever like get an explicit explanation of what happened there. Um, but it really feels like this is what happens uh, to Mr. and Mrs. Smith's like in the long run, very, mm-hmm. very likely. And uh, it, it just um, you got to think, Patrick Klepek, maybe the people running the Mr. and Mrs. Smith spy organization might say, hey, if we put two hot people together force them to play act being man and wife and then give them hundreds of thousands of dollars. Maybe one day they're going to run away and not want to do this anymore. You know, mm-hmm. uh, no, but no one thought that apparently, or they did think it. And they're just like, rather than somehow fixing that before that happens, they dispatch a separate crew of Mr. And Mrs. Smith's to kill the first Mr. And Mrs. Smith. So it's like, you know, if uh, basically Patrick Klepek, what I was going to say was if I were bothered by it, that's one of the that's one of the complaints I would bring up. Ah, but in this but, in the, okay, in this but other because world, I'm not bothered by it, I would dare not even mention it. That's on the podcast. Very, very kind of you. Very you're very, welcome. Very nice of you for for me and for for the show. Um, I, I would the, say I would say the breakup episode. So that's season one, episode eight is like felt to me the closest to the actual uh, Doug Lyman movie with Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like very heavily inspired uh, by that movie where. Uh, but but it was like a creative take on it, you know, um, yeah. where they they basically do the entire thing in their house. The stuff with the truth serum. I, I, I'm just really psyched that they committed to it. And they're like, uh, yeah, we're going to have like a five minute scene where they talk to each other on this truth serum, which I thought was really amazing. Uh, and then, of course, the the reveal of who's coming after them. It wasn't actually them that shot each other. Pointing to the fact that really, Patrick Klepek, the thing that would make most marriages better is communication, you know, like that's really what <laughs> the show is about. Uh, I thought they did a decent job. We find in the truth serum moment where they 
admit that you know like i had a shot on you and i and i missed and i i think they do a really great job state like actually staging that during the action sequences like in particular i'm thinking of uh, a sequence where uh jane is running up the stairs and john has a, a clear line of shot and he sort of does like a half circle arc over her back like there's no like you spent this entire show showing us that they are not necessarily like world ending assassins, but they're competent and like would would have been able to take a shot that was right in front of them. But they the 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 action is so frenetic and the editing is like fast enough that it's kind of a blink and you miss it. But they do set up a number of times where you can kind of credibly see the two of them erring on the side of like not letting letting something connect. And I I thought they handled that dance uh, uh pretty well. Well, well, also like not because if you go to a step too far. There's zero tension to the action. And even though we know the show we're watching, I don't think it's going to end 30 minutes in with like a stray bullet getting caught in one of their heads and this cut to credits. So you sort of assume we're going to get to the end of the episode with both of them alive. But I I thought they were able to ride that line pretty well where uh, even if I know where we're going to some degree, it was still kind of fun and thrilling to see how inventive the two of them got along the way. Let's talk about the very ending, right? Uh, so, uh, before we get to that, just a quick a, a quick shout out to the Paul Dano character again. Like, I just love that it's revealed uh, that he's just amazed at their house, and that's why he's keeping track of, of them. Uh, and if you've ever looked, at, if you've ever had trouble buying the house of your dreams, Patrick Lepic, mm-hmm. that has everything that you want, I think you can relate to what he's saying in that scene. Um, well, in some but, ways, uh, that character was the David character who. Like the show put, sets aside all of its logical inconsistencies and then gives it to a character to be like, none of this makes sense. And like, <laughs> it's in the yeah. context of a real, real estate sale, but you could also view that as like the show. Yeah. It's being winking like, to a certain degree to be like, come on guys. Like, like, this <laughs> whole setup is technically impossible. Right. It right, doesn't, right. <laughs> please explain it to me. Like I'm five, you know, like <laughs> anyway, uh, that's great. I, I hadn't thought about it that way, but uh, the episode kind of comes to an end with, uh, is it Parker Posey about to bust into their yeah. safe house? And uh, Jane, you know, they reveal, they kind of declare their love for each other. They reveal uh, what their names are. And then she's like, I'm going to bust out of here shooting. And then she, she gives a countdown. She's like, on the count of three, I'm going to bust out of there. And she busts out. And then we don't see what happens. I think we get and, three, like we get a shot of a window. Yeah, window. I think and, like, three, three gunshots. Three yeah. gunshots, right? Uh, and that's it. Uh, and it is left open ended. What happens to them? We see Paul Dano go into the house afterwards, and he, he says, "Like, oh, there's no one here anymore. Maybe they're ready to sell." Uh, any any interpretation on any of that, Patrick Klepek? Any any reaction to that? You know, in some ways, you know the 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 team that worked on this, I'd love to see what they did. Like, I'd love to see them keep working together. I found the, 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 the couple to be, to be very charming. The actors very charming, but I also love how ambiguous it is at the end. Like, cause it really kind of finishes telling its story, right? Like it's these two people kind of come clean with one another and then it ends. And, uh, you know, it's very easy to imagine both scenarios of them having survived this encounter. Um, but it also very easy to imagine the two of them, you know, just slumped up against the wall and somebody comes and 
clean those bodies later. Um, so I, I, I actually thought the ending was really beautiful and I, I loved the ambiguity. Um, um, even if that's convenient for giving them lots of outs for right. whatever a second season, but it didn't feel, it didn't feel it's the right kind of cliffhanger in which there are dangling threads, but it still feels like the story where there nothing, where, where there no second season, there's nothing about the end that feels unsatisfying like oh i can't can't believe they saved that for the second season it really feels like they sort of closed the book on the questions asked by the characters by the end and there's plenty that you can imagine them uh you know kind of pulling at in the second season but if we never got it i think this is a really decent complete work um which itself is a rarity in television shows these days uh agreed agreed all right, Patrick Klepek, I have one thing to say about the show okay. that uh, is not positive. Oh, no. And uh, I, I fear, you know, people have been enjoying hearing us chat about Mr. and Mrs. Smith, and then now now got to end on this note. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think my biggest problem with the show is that I think it really... I think it is an exceptionally well done genre exercise and therefore a lot of fun. Happy to recommend it to people. You're going to have a blast watching it. I don't know that the show is really about anything. Mm. And Roxana Haddadi, uh, who is a uh, previously co-host on Decoding TV, hopefully a future co-host as well. Love her work um, both on the podcast and at Vulture.com. She wrote a piece called Mr. and Mrs. Smith's Faux Love Story that I thought was really interesting, where basically she describes how she was initially hopeful that Mr. and Mrs. Smith would be a story about uh, capitalism, you know, Uh, and then it turns out to just kind of be a love story and not a particularly good love story in her estimation, as far as I can tell. I'm going to read from the article here, quote, John and Jane's rapaciousness is their greatest and perhaps only harmonious quality. But it's the one Mr. and Mrs. Smith shies away from over and over again. This portrait of millennials as so hungry for stuff that they'll agree to do deplorable things for an employer they know nothing about is a tantalizingly barbed idea if Mr. and Mrs. Smith were willing to dig into it, end quote. Uh, and uh, there's a lot about that thing that her, her piece that resonates with me, which is that to me, I feel there is a kind of emptiness at the the heart of the show, which is like, Yes, it's fun. We had a good time. Like, oh, and cool. Like, you kind of Tetris, you know, these relationship milestones into like a spy thriller. But I don't really feel like I know that much about these characters, uh, who they quote unquote really are. Um, and beyond being a really creatively told love story, which is very big accomplishment, you know, I don't know that it really says anything else about society, about modern love, about anything of, of that nature. Um, so that's one disappointment i have with the show but maybe there's tons of thousands of people listening to this right now screaming at their phones saying <laughs> uh they disagree that it's not about anything patrick klepik do you want to give voice to these disembodied voices shouting at me uh about my assessment on the show um well i guess one way to respond would be i don't, I don't really care that it didn't have anything <laughs> to say about those things um sure. yeah yeah you know the moment i stepped foot into this show I felt like it communicated enough about its ambitions that uh, I I was fine with where the fact that it didn't go um, 
much deeper than that. What I will say, though, is the second – it was interesting in splitting up the season the way we did. The second half of the season really spins its wheels with their their arc. Um, like by the, by the second half of the – by the second half of the season, they're just bickering all the time. Um, and I, at a certain point, there is a lacking of substance in the bickering and – we need to get to what the finale gets to, which is some sort of like this, it's a tipping point and we achieve some resolution in the future of their relationship. But there are multiple episodes where they just don't like each other and they're just getting mad at each other. And I felt like the show was like, okay, we have these characters in this place, but we can't do anything about it until we get to the finale. And so even though it's not an especially long show, it's not even, it does, it's not even egregious about, it's our run times. Frequently it was shorter yeah. than that in the 40 45 minutes, minute 44 range. minutes. Like, yeah. When I saw the finale it was 65 minutes. It was like, okay, like great. Like this seems like the kind of show that it's only being that long when it's like, Hey, we have something to justify the longer runtime. But I do feel, and maybe this is even leans credence to the criticism, which is when they ran out of the little bit of substance that the characters had, you could do nothing, but start relying more on, the action, the set pieces, um, the setups, and less on the substance between those characters. Um, and I do think that is a notable criticism in, in the second half. Uh, the therapy uh, episode betrays that to a certain degree, but I feel like that's an exception um, to what else is present in the the back half storytelling. Yeah. And I think that there's all, you have all the ingredients of making a class critique, if you wanted to, right? Like of of making this into something that's beyond just quote unquote just a love story. Uh, but I don't think the show ever gets there for a wide variety of reasons. You know, like I, I actually think one of the reasons the the lack of realism bothered me is because uh, it's it's hard for me to take the show seriously if if I don't have that ground those grounding sense of the rules. Mm-hmm. And it turns out I, I didn't really have to because the show, in my opinion is not ambitious, doesn't have ambitions beyond here's a really, you know, creatively done love story. And and that's it. it and that is its own accomplishment, but it's, it, it had the potential to be something that is, I think much more thematically interesting and it chooses not to take that path. And uh, I think that's a, a, a bit of a missed opportunity. So anyway, uh, hate to end on that note because I think we all, we both really enjoyed the show overall and would recommend mm-hmm. it, but uh, feel the need to mention that you know that's that's one thing I, I wish uh, had been fleshed out a little bit more. Also, shout out to Michaela Cole, who I don't know. Did you see uh, uh, "I May Destroy You"? By the way, Patrick Lepic. No, uh, that is, in my opinion, "I May Destroy You" on which aired on. I think it's probably still on Maximum to watch for HBO. Uh, she wrote and directed this miniseries called I May Destroy You. Oh, okay. I'm looking yeah. it up now. I, I remember seeing uh, clips of this, but no, I, n- I never got around to it myself. It's one of the most incredible pieces of art, I would say, that I have seen on television. And uh, I she wrote and directed it. She starred in it. Um, she also appeared as the kind of uh, a, a side piece slash assassin in episode seven of Mr. and Mrs. Smith. But she's an enormously talented person and it's just wonderful to see her in the show being a complete badass. So, uh, <laughs> and I would strongly recommend I may destroy you. So, okay. Noted. The, those are our thoughts on Mr. And Mrs. Smith season one. Let's talk about true detective night country part five. 
Kincaid case. That's the law investigation. The two cases are linked. This case is closed, Liz. She needs to get how vulnerable she's making herself. Seriously? You need to learn when to stop asking questions. We are this close. It ends here, right? It's over. All right, Patrick Klepek. Uh, we talked last week on Decoding TV about True Detectives Night Country and about how, from our perception, it felt like there were a lot of people making fun of this show each week online. <laughs> and uh, I also posted about this on threads. We posted about it on YouTube. We got a lot of reactions. Uh, a bunch of people saying, what? No, no one I know is criticizing it at all. And then, like, you know, I, I posted on threads and my thread went like, uh, mini viral, I would say, you know, it got like hundreds or thousands of uh, quotes and stuff like that. And some people were saying, uh, what? Like, uh, I, I have nothing but love for the show. W- where is the criticism? And I'm like, literally in the thread that you're responding to, there's like, there's like 15 people who don't like the show. Um, we will try to represent all, all perspectives. And by the way, I want to remind people, Patrick Klepek and I actually enjoy True Detective Night Country. Um, like we actually are defenders of it. Mm-hmm. But yes, I'm finding a lot of criticism, including from within my household. Oh no! Uh, about the show, yeah. Toxic <laughs> fans have have made it into <laughs> to, to David Chen's house. I wouldn't say toxic. Certainly, uh, critical, uh, discerning viewers mm, have made okay. it into my mm-hmm, household. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Pernicious ducks at decodingtv.com writes: Can we just rename True Detective Night Country to Alaska Sucks? You should feel bad. That would better set expectations as there's almost no detectiving happening. I just do not like the season. And while I did enjoy season one, I thought the ending was underwhelming. I didn't have great love for it. If I didn't know that it was explicit, that, that uh, this season was written by a woman, I would swear it was written by a guy who hates women. <laughs> the two leads are stereotypes of women in law enforcement. The one who is, uh, one who sleeps her way to the top and the other hates guys and is out to protect all women. Yes, there is some nuance there, but that's their mold. You also have the the wife who gives her cop husband nothing but grief. Six guys got turned into a screaming corpsicle, but don't you dare have to work OT. The rebellious teen daughter that might as well be from Justified City Primeval with thankfully less screen time. It's infuriating. The younger male cop just can't catch a break and is somehow the only character I feel any sympathy for. Dude, just move away. It's not worth it, end quote. <laughs> uh, I would say that does a good job of summarizing what some people's issues are with the show. Uh, we also posted this at YouTube, a lot of YouTube comments. What, uh, one My Hayes writes, quote, I like The Night Country and I'm on board for it. However, the main problem I have is that it is a mystery show instead of being a detective show. Every episode brings in more questions instead of giving us answers to anything. At this point, we are past four episodes and we still don't understand the dynamics involved in some of the characters' relationships. That's a no-no. That's the definition of a mystery. Evidently, there's waiting until the finale to make the big reveal but how many people will still be watching by them? I'm concerned that the reveal will still leave quite a few mysteries unanswered, end quote. Uh, we did get a comment from Red Jack 10 who writes, all the groups and discords I'm in have had a hell of a time live commenting and theorizing week to week, end quote. Um, so anyway, a lot of diversity of opinions. Some people who are like, I love the show and I've never heard anyone speak badly about the show and decoding TV, how dare you introduce this idea into my life? Which uh, to which I say, fair criticism of Decoding TV. Um, I'm sorry that the podcast brings in outside ideas sometimes. <laughs> um, 
But Patrick Klepek, I am curious, like, did you have any reaction to the reaction to our conversation last week before we get to this week's episode? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been interesting. I mean, in some ways, I feel like this, what you're seeing reflects uh, the different bubbles. And I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. I mean that in, like, what are the groups that we choose right. to yeah. surround ourselves to engage with media? Like, so so, so that's going to be a, you know, a discord. Like, I think there's probably a difference between, like, engaging with responses to this show through a broad social platform like a threads or a Twitter versus watching it in like a like safe collective sort of space like a discord, which are probably all people, you know, or mostly know in some form. Right. And um, that probably deeply influences the tenor, the intensity the amount of toxicity of like a discourse and the directions it takes. And so it wouldn't shock me if people are like, well, in my circles, people are just talking about the show, but like, what is the, how wide is that circle? Right? Like if you're in YouTube comments, like of videos, like theorizing about the show, my guess is you are seeing a much different uh, picture being painted of what this show is, the quality of it, how people are responding to its storytelling uh, choices than if it is just in your smaller uh, group of, you know, uh, uh, friends. And so I think to some degree, I look at that as reflective of just how people choose to watch things and how they share those experiences with other people. Uh, We talked a little bit about this last week. We should acknowledge, obviously there is a strain of toxicity that is going to result no matter what happens uh, because this is a show that used to have dudes and now it has women leading it, and there are some people that really don't like to see that and uh, will therefore criticize it as woke or whatever. Uh, and it's – I will say I, I certainly don't support any of that, don't support any of those people, don't support any of that type of opinion. But I do think that there are legitimate grievances that one can have with this show. you know, And that's Absolutely. kind of what is difficult to navigate these days is – you know, do you not like the Last Jedi, or do you just have issues with the Last Jedi, or are you part of these toxic fan groups that, you know, uh, are going to issue death threats to people because they love the Last Jedi, you know, like or whatever it is, you know, like right? It's it's having any kind of reasonable discourse is difficult these days. That said, always appreciate the comments at decodingtv.com and at youtube.com/decodingtv, which are uh, largely quite civil, I would say. You know, like uh, they might disagree. Uh, but largely quite civil. TikTok, on the other hand, that's a whole different thing. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> Patrick Klepek, True Detective Night Country Part 5. What do you think of the episode? Well, I th- this kind of relates to what we just talked about. Yeah. I think, I don't know this should have been called uh, True Detective. I think there, <laughs> I think there were some potentially yeah. some, and, yeah. I don't, and that is not necessarily uh, a, a, a failure on, um, you know, Lopez's part, the the showrunner to like for what they've tried to do here. But I do think, you know, I, I even, you know, expressed when we last chatted, like enough with the goddamn spirals. Um, and uh, <laughs> I just feel like that stuff is distracting from what the show is trying to do, what the show is good at. And like part of there are there are problems with this show that are storytelling issues i'm not i'm not i don't think either of i either either of us would call this like a perfect work even when we're being like most charitable to what it's what it's trying to accomplish but i do think the weight of what people expect from something called true detective 
does not line up with the aims of what this show is trying to do. And I think that goes a very long way to explaining how much are people criticizing the genuinely, like what is on the page, what is on the screen versus this didn't match my expectations. So now because of that conflict, everything that doesn't work for me in this show is viewed through that lens in which there are very few ways for this show to really win and mostly ways for it to lose because it's not the show that I want. And I really, I didn't watch seasons two and three, but if we're taking this mostly as a backlash to season one, I think there are, I think this show was kind of handed a bad hand from a perception. Like I can get past that and just engage with the work as is. I don't feel hung up on season one and its mechanics and it's, and the dynamics that it had, but being most charitable to the people who are like deeply frustrated through the season as it goes further. And we near this conclusion, I, I, I see that as like a bigger and bigger weight for this show to carry every episode that it gets deeper. And I think it's ultimately done the show for what I do like about it, a great disservice to essentially even have been called like true detective. Um, Cause I think it's just, it's forcing people to view it through a lens that is uh, I think unfair. Um, all that said, I think I texted you. I was like, I don't think I'm getting my, I don't think I'm getting my monster in a cave. Um, I don't Who knows? think, Who knows? I don't think there's a big creature waiting for me at the end. Maybe, maybe I'm surprised, but I'm, I'm, uh, I have to admit I am. If that's where we end up, I think I'll be a little disappointed with the arc of this season. Cause I think it is played fast and loose with horror imagery in a way that has given me expectations that I don't necessarily know the show is willing or interested in delivering on. Um, And if all of the manifestations of the supernatural are tied up in, well, really uncharitably, it's like a lot of people who have like mental illness, like, well, we're just all going to put this on projections of like people who's, uh, you know, are are struggling with uh, mental illness. Like that's not a great place to be for how we're going to like hand wave away a lot of what people are seeing. Um, I hopefully there'll be more to it by the end. That doesn't make me feel as potentially perturbed by like that interpretation of all of the supernatural or supernatural adjacent storytelling or imagery that we're seeing. But um, I mean, overall, I, the ending is like undeniably shocking uh, and, and fascinating, but I don't know where, where are you with the show at this point? Uh, great points about whether it should have been called True Detective. You can, it's hard to not think about the alternate future or the alternate reality where this was just called Night Country. Yeah. And it's just like, hey, it's a Night Country thing. There's no connections to Rusty Cole or any Travis Cole or anything like that. And it's just a mini series about these two uh, people, two detectives trying to figure out this case. And um, yeah, I, I don't know, man. Like, it might not have gotten as many viewers as it has, but uh, it would probably have like a more engaged viewership. That's that's less complaining because I think you're right. It, it has the weight of the the true detective stuff on it, and we should point out that one of the reasons that is a problem is that the detecting that is happening on the show is pretty unsatisfying. You know, basically Pryor is doing all the work, right? Like, it, like Pryor shows up every twenty minutes, and he's like, "Hey, I did like." three hours of research and 
you know, Doug this and it's like we don't <laughs> see any of it. I did Off detective screen. work. <laughs> we don't see any of that stuff, right? It's just it's we're mostly spend a lot of time dwelling on the vibes of the town or on like the past of like all these terrible things that have happened or on the interpersonal conflicts between these characters. Um and I I agree it would have been great to have a show without the um the weight of the true detective name attached to it. Uh, what do I think of the show? I, I think actually think the mystery is like pretty rough. Like, and this episode like ostensibly resolves it. You know, like hey, by the way, we're gonna. Uh, it turns out that they actually were dead all along, or you know what? Like, <laughs> there is no killer or any. You know, obviously, I think that's going to be circum like uh, subverted in the next episode in some yeah. way. Uh, but the way the show has handled the mystery, I would say, has been pretty unsatisfying. Now. The other stuff, I think, has been pretty great. If Do you want to know how miserable it is to live in a remote town where sometimes of the year there's no daylight? And if the answer to that question is yes, I honestly think, uh, no irony, this show does a really good job at illustrating that. And at illustrating, you know, what happens when, like, one company owns everything in the town and, like... What happens when like uh, like everyone knows each other and people become destructive forces and you know all the the setting it looks beautiful um, the relationships seem seem very plausible you know one of my favorite scenes in this episode came from Kavik and Navarro like have like a tender moment and like that's really that's really lovely um, and so uh, I, I buy all that stuff I buy all that stuff now yeah. is that what I wanted when I started watching True Detective in that country like not necessarily you know no 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 that, no. But if that's what you are looking for, I think you will actually get it, and that is um, anthropologically valuable, you know, as, as a as a thing. Um, so, basically, Patrick Klepek, my expectations are near the floor for the finale in terms of the the story, like the, the yeah. main through line detective story. Is there going to be something that ties everything together? Maybe, um, but. As you as you, we discussed last week, I have enjoyed the vibes, and I do think that this week the vibes got real scary real fast. Right, like the biggest thing that happens is Pryor is forced to kill his dad in the episode. Um, it is a shocking. Like we get a lot of backstory about the dad. You know, the dad has like obviously we know he got catfished, but the dad has also like uh, been working in conjunction with this woman who owns the whole town, and like she's been bribing him, and she's like, you got to get rid of this. Otis guy because he could lead them to this mine where like there's some horrible secret that we need to kill to you know any guesses as to what it is Patrick Klepek well we the, the uh, Pryor's father says he didn't kill Annie right he just moved the body right so my presumption is there's more bodies but but I don't that doesn't solve like the mystery I, like I don't still don't know why we had to blow up the entrance to the, like, what is it? I, I don't know what right. they're I, it, it's, hiding. I, I think that we're running into this issue, Patrick Klepek, where it's hard for us to imagine that there is something in the mind that is going to make this whole thing satisfying. Right? Like but, but not only, not only that, I don't have a spectrum of things to imagine in the mind. You know what I mean? Like, right. Like, yeah, it's not like it's a, it's a mystery box where like, like I said, like, I think they've sort of, they pretty cleanly cut off the supernatural. Like, again, I don't think they're going in there and on the spooky cell phone video on the other side is some sort of 
ancient legacy creature that has been like That's existing what, in the mind. Everyone at Salal knows about it, and they're trying to cover it up, and they're like, "Please, do, they're like, do not." Go in there, right? Like yes. that's that's probably not what Salal is hiding. Is a, some supernatural creature in your estimation? Right. right. And I, when I, if I was, like, I couldn't make you a list of five things that I think are in the mine. <laughs> right. And I think that's a failure on the show's part to best, def- like, to better define mm-hmm. what I, I'm fine. I love mysteries. Like I'm fine. I'm fine with not knowing, but I don't even know what to be surprised by. You know what I mean? Like I don't even have a dimension right. to be thinking yeah. in. And I think that is ultimately a failure on the show to set us up for a final episode that by, by virtue of having no sense of what could be on the other side, whatever it delivers <laughs> seems primed to be disappointment because it hasn't properly prepared yeah. you for like what, what what it could be um even if it ends up subverting that even if it ends up being surprising i don't have anything to be subverted by like because i don't <laughs> have like right. it'd be one thing if people like the show had spent five episodes going there's gonna be a, a monster in there. well I, I, and then there's not and then there's I, not it's like oh well, i can't believe uh, this is actually what's going on I would argue that there's enough in there for you to expect some monster of some kind but the problem is you and I feel that that's probably not going to happen, right? Like the, it feels too enough, grounded at this point. Yeah, there's enough. There's enough. You know, the very first episode. Oh, she's here. She's awake. You know, yeah. like the cell phone video. Like, oh, there's enough stuff that you can feel like maybe there is a monster in there. Now, you and I don't actually feel that, but but I I think you're underselling the possibility of a monster a little bit. Um, I hope so. Because look, I yeah. want there to be a monster. <laughs> I want <laughs> all I want. Is for the the same amount of incredible effects work to create the corpsicle has also been put into some sort of cosmic creature that it's going to be under the ice. That's that's what I want. Um, even if I don't think that's actually uh, going going to be the case, but maybe maybe they're extracting energy from this ancient creature and like yes it's resulting in the deaths of some some small children small price to pay for the cosmic god energy um i you know we take what you can get uh i have a couple other thoughts but before we wrap up here patrick lepic why don't you let people know where they could find more of your work on the internet this week uh you can follow me talking about video games and sports and i'll be doing a whole podcast about the super bowl uh that'll be coming out later this week over at remap radio Com. You can also follow my uh, parenting and gaming newsletter over at crossplay.news. And of course, be sure to follow us across all platforms at Decoding TV. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of the True Detective finale when it airs next week. And find uh, uh, and uh, become a paid member at decodingtv.com to support this podcast and help to keep it coming. Th- uh, thanks to all the paid members who support the show and make it possible. I want to call out again, I think all the stuff with Hank and uh, Peter in this episode was actually really amazing. Like the final sequence where like the way the final sequence unfolds, I think is actually quite brilliant. The last 10 minutes of the episode uh, where Hank shows up and then says to Danvers, Hey, I'm looking for Otis. And, and she says, well, you can't have him. And he's like, he's here right now. You know, (laughs) he didn't necessarily know. It wasn't clear to me if he knew that he was there. I think he may have known. Mm. Um, but either way, uh, it's like, it becomes a whole different situation. And then when his son busts in with the gun raised, uh, that's when he realizes, uh, like, oh, I, I have nothing to live for anymore. Like yeah. my, my, uh, 
my mail order bride catfished me. My son uh, doesn't think I'm a good person. Like uh, I can't actually get this job because I can't do the thing that do the task that was asked of me. So he he has seemed to spend all the money he got from the previous. Like Mm. there's a moment where prior asks, did you send her any money? And I believe there is a phone call we hear earlier in the season where he says like her mother is sick or something like that. And then when he's in the car with the, the, and the I love how he executive. just changes the topic when he asks, he asks like, you know, did you send her any money by any chance Dad? Yeah. And he's like, he just changes the topic, which is, yeah. you know, very and when, and he's in the car yeah. with the executive. Like, well, we gave you money. He's like, well, that money's not, that money's gone. <laughs> it's like, clearly you spent it on this woman that swindled it from you. Yeah. 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 Uh, but then he, he knows like he's going to commit suicide by a cop and by a cop, that cop being his son, which is like a oh, very my God. heartbreaking, poignant moment. Uh, that culminates the episode. And I, I think it's, yeah, it, it was, this is like, okay, this isn't the show that I thought this would be, but it's like, it's very poignant. It's very well done. Yeah. And uh, I thought, I actually thought this episode was really strong again for what this show is trying to accomplish, Agreed. which a lot of people might not be buying into. So trying to figure out if there's anything else to mention in the episode. Uh, we do see a little bit more of like, Danvers' daughter getting into challenging situations with the protests and so on and so forth. Um, I, I did, I, that, that is one part of the show I wish there was a little more a substance to. Like, I like the fact that we spent meaningful time at the protests uh, where it unpacked or at least demonstrated a little bit more of sort of like the anger for these folks who feel trampled on, aggrieved, exploited by like the energy company there, we don't get a lot of express, like it's their views are expressed by an extension of this is essentially a company town. And there's speculation that their, their work there is producing these stillborn children, but we don't actually get a ton of insight into their voices. Um, And so at least here, you know, it's, it's convenient for the character and their, and their arc, but also I liked the fact that we at least spent a little bit of time with um, like their protest and like how that fits within the world of this town. Yeah. Uh, some major plot developments happen. I just want to list them real quick. Sure. Uh, so Connolly claims that the Salomon died in a freak slab avalanche that there's nothing. <laughs> the slab actually, avalanche. <laughs> yeah. There's actually nothing. And you know, Danvers doesn't believe it. Uh, there's also this moment, w- w- what's going on with the swirly symbol. Apparently it's a symbol from hunters telling you that don't go there because the ice might swallow you whole. Um, and so that's, that's the origin of the symbol and we'll see how it comes into play later. Uh, and then we get a little bit more detail about Wheeler as well and what happened there. Uh, basically it seems like Navarro had some kind of, uh, hallucination or vision, right? when when that happened and Danvers is able to identify this um and that was also by the way another really awesome moment when Pryor is questioning Danvers about the Wheeler case yeah and starts asking her him her questions like she's taught him to you know wrong question and uh and then when he drops the question of like did you know that Wheeler was left-handed it's like I gasped I I just had like a you know because it's like oh and and it's such a great way of it's such a great reveal because it requires the audience to like put a lot of stuff together too. Like you could put it all together in your mind of like, 
how, why is that question significant, right? You need to like know why that question is significant up until that point. It's a very rewarding, satisfying moment. Overall, there's just some great moments in this episode. I just have to say, yeah. like, I really like the, the episode. We you started on a down note. I'm trying to end <laughs> it on an up. Well, I, do, so. I think it's because this feels it's difficult to talk about this episode. I'll think about this episode profoundly differently, right? Depending based on, on what the... happens next, right? Like, yeah. I, th- I think part of what's so difficult talking about the show is I think it would have benefited. Like, I think you and I are, well, I don't know. I don't know if this is actually true. Like I largely wish shows came out at slower paces. So Mm -hmm. you could talk about them. Like we talk about culture, like having cultural moments. I like that HBO is like one of the few places that hasn't given up on that. I like the fact that their shows come out on a weekly basis. So you can talk about it, marinate it and, and, and like really anticipate the next like piece of storytelling. This show, like, this it had not benefited like there's a lot we talked about things that has not worked for it i think the weekly model has not worked for this show and that is partially will be better informed by what happens in the finale because in a world where maybe this helps explain some of the 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 uh the gap between the public reaction to this show and the critical reaction to the show is maybe we'll be surprised and like it ends on like a pretty like great like season or like, you know, series finale. And it's like, Oh wow. This puts the entire thing in a different perspective because now I see the whole arc of where it was going. Um, But when it feels like it's being drip fed, it doesn't necessarily work as well. So I feel like a lot of my thoughts about this episode are uh, tinged a little bit sharper just because I need, I need the other shoe to drop. And so I find myself uh, just deeply, deeply waiting for, for that. So I can actually know how to feel about the big picture. All right. Well, we will see how that all plays out next week, right here on decoding TV. We'll, we'll be discussing the season finale of true detective in that country. And we will tell you all whether this journey was worth it or not. Monster, <laughs> monster, monster. All right. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Uh, again, uh, we'll be covering the daily show and the true detective in that country season finale next week. Uh, and much more to come later this month and next month on Decoding TV. Goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 